Jonathan, thank you for joining me. That's a great, great pleasure, Ravi. It's a great pleasure to be here. So let me guess how many miles you've run this morning already. Uh, five. Well, that's a great question to start with. You know what? I haven't run at all today, but my wife has been working out in the lounge, lockdown workout, and I'm kind of feeling a little bit guilty that I haven't done anything today. Mm. <laughs> we both share that. Well, we, I guess we share a number of passions in common. We're both runners, though I think you're more diligent and regular than I am. In a past life, I used to be a long-distance runner. We also both care deeply about just the human experience. And, you know, you strike me as an expert in human performance. Uh, we've known each other a little bit over the past, you know, year where we first met at a coaching training and have stayed mm -hmm. in touch since then. And you just strike me as someone who's an expert in how humans as individuals or teams operate. Um, but I'm curious how you would describe yourself and what you do right now. Yeah. I think the word, see, funny, when I hear the word expert, I think, hmm, am I an expert? I'm never quite sure if I'm an expert. I think we're all, we're all sort of finding out more and more about the human experience. And yeah, I've, I'm a psychologist. So I, my background is psychology. So I've worked thinking about the psychology of the human experience for a long time. And yeah, it's, it's a great pleasure to work with because it's an, ex, it's an ever expanding and, depthless well of uh, of knowledge that you can dive into so there's there's i don't think we ever become experts i think we get better at understanding a little bit more about the human experience but i don't know an expert seems to suggest that we've got it nailed and i really don't feel like i've got it nailed but i think i'm probably yeah in the show notes then i'll, I'll strike out expert i'll put uh, absolute novice uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that'd be better a real novice, but very keen, a keen learner. Keen learner. Okay. Keen learner, absolute novice in the human sphere of things. I mean, give me a sense of uh, a flavor of what you do now. Uh, you have a company, Capital Shift, and you do interesting work uh, that, that, that I think would be interesting for people to hear about. So how would you describe what you do day to day? Uh, who do you work with and what do you help them do? Yeah, sure, Ravi. I, mean, I think... So I've worked in this field for 20, 25 years or so, where we've really been, I've been really focused on supporting people in business, in business situations. So it's either individuals who want to pursue some sort of coaching uh, development, or it'd be working with a, a team, executive team, or an organization to help them with their leadership culture or go through a change process. And the angle that um, I've always taken has been to kind of help people understand the psychology of their experience so that they can maximize what they are be what they're able to deliver in the function, in the roles that they have, in the jobs that they have. And over the years, the sort of approach or the the focus of that has changed for me quite quite dramatically. It's really it's really shifted, and and that shifting of focus, which I'm, I, I'm sure we'll want to talk about together, is partly as a result of my own understanding of what's important changing, 
but it's also very much to do with the climate that people seem to be sort of functioning in now. And it's really evident with the whole kind of influx of so much noise, so much social media noise, communication noise, stuff going on for people, which is really detracting from the capacity that people have in business to be able to do what they do well. So, yeah, so my shift has been, my, my, my shift of attention has been really interesting over, really over the last six or seven years. It's really moved. So you've been in this field for a, for a long time, if you can call it just a field, uh, what you do. Where, what inspired you to get into this, uh, to move in this direction, to get into this line of work, to look into psychology as a profession? Well, um, <laughs> well, the way I got into psychology is, it's a good story, really, but I'm not sure if I should, should repeat it here. But it was basically a friend, a girlfriend, who was staying in my flat at the time, and we were studying. And she was just a girlfriend, and uh, she was using my flat in London, and we were, we were both studying in London. And she went on to do a master's in psychology, and I was kind of just done my degree I'd done quite well on the degree which was a little bit of psychology a little bit of bit of statistics a little bit of biology and I wasn't quite sure what I was doing and I had a conversation with this this girl and, and said you know I'll just keep, do keep in touch when you go off to do your master's because you know I'd like to know how you get on because I'm thinking maybe I'll do that next year in a, in a year's time and she said why don't you come this year and uh, I said oh, yeah, I haven't really got anything else to do. I, maybe I could. So I phoned up the university and got myself an interview and got in. So I think my choice to go into psychology was mainly because there was a girlfriend who was interested in psychology too, and I followed her. <laughs> but it developed from there. It developed from Not there. Not an uncommon story, right, for people's career beginnings. What 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 got you engaged in the world of business from a psychology standpoint? Many different directions you could have gone in. You seem to have gone into a management, leadership, organizational effectiveness direction. Yeah, I was I was always really I was always interested in understanding business better. And you know, when you're studying psychology, you have options, and there's an option to go into clinical. And I just felt that wasn't really me. It was it was probably you know working with, with people's in a therapeutic setting every day all day wasn't really my my thing and, and there's a whole series of other sort of more minor um psychology psychology kind of streams and i just decided the business one was good fun it was it was an area that i thought i could yeah make a bit of a difference and have a bit of an exciting exciting career about and i think i've really i've really had a very interesting career met some fantastic people and you know met some great organizations and the thing that I love, Ravi, about working with business now is that you can access um, contact with people in a way which is funded by an organization, therefore giving you more space and time to work with those people than you might do if it was privately funded or health funded. So that's been really super helpful and really interesting for me so that the relationship go on a bit longer in the organization setting. I love that. 
and you can go deeper into the learning experience than I think even some of the clinical psychologists are able to do because of the restriction on funding and restriction on um, the capacity for them to, to work with their clients for a long time. You know, we both have that in common in the sense that, you know, I also work with individuals and teams in the world of business. And for me, what fascinates me about working in that sphere is simply that people are spending their prime hours and years working. And so if we can make that more effective, more joyful, less stressed, then it just has tremendous impact on their lives and their families and their communities. So um, I'm sort of right there with you. There's something fascinating about the world of business and how that operates. You alluded to, you know, you went into psychology um, and I'm reading between the lines here, but you learned a certain way of doing things. And then along the way you've shifted and evolved. And I maybe would love if you can paint a little bit of that picture is as you started out doing your work, helping businesses, how were you operating? And then where were there any shifts or realizations that you had that's caused you to shift your approach? You can just share a little bit of the before and the current state of how you operate and what led you to that, that shift. That would be great. Yeah, sure. And uh, yeah. And, and just, just, just actually just wanted to cap the bit we just talked about, Ravi, because the other thing that I'm, I'm going to come back to your question in a minute, but the other thing that I really have noticed with working with organizations is that when you work with somebody who's in a senior leadership capacity, in an in a, in a executive capacity, then those people have a very big impact on a lot of people in, in their organization. So you're almost indirectly affecting more people than you might do if you're just working with one. So you can really change the culture of an organization by working with the, the CEO or somebody on the executive team. And that can impact on many, many families, you know, many people and their families. And I love that kind of, yeah, uh, that that work that we can do, sort of feeding in some way, being nutritious in some way to the community and not just to the individual. So that bit's just wanted to catch that bit because that's been become more and more important to me actually as I've gone through my career. And actually, that kind of leads really well into answering your question because when I started working in psychology. I was actually very focused on psychometrics, mm -hmm. measurement of psychology through through the science of psychometrics, and wrote a, a couple of batteries of psychometric tests, one of which is still published in the in the field of careers and development. And um, so I was kind of interested in the science of it, and I was interested in the uh, the, the way that you could scientifically prove the relationship between what we were doing and the outcome. And a lot of my colleagues went into the field of selection, assessment and selection in the recruitment setting. Mm. And they do great work in that space. But I just found it personally not as satisfying as I'd like. So I went then into the field of um, development and ended up really training. So training people in management development and leadership development. And then did that for quite a few years. 
And I've sort of reflected on it quite a bit. And um, I look back and I still get very nice correspondence from some of those people who went on those programs, you know, 10, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I got a very nice photograph of a guy who was up in the top of a hill that in, in the south of Wales in the UK. And it was he took a selfie of himself with this hill in the backdrop and reminding us because of the fact that we'd gone for a walk up there as a, as a leadership group and how he'd still remembered the learning. And it was really nice. And this was probably 12 years ago that we, we ran that program, probably more actually. So it was really nice. So we were getting some great results. But here's the point, I think. Um, I just felt like we were kind of dealing with the surface of some of the issues. We were kind of looking at some of the personal issues that uh, people face in their leadership function. And we were kind of nodding at them, right? We were sort of addressing them. We were sort of addressing them through things like emotional intelligence. We were sort of addressing them through things like NLP, neuro-linguistic programming. We were sort of use, you know, addressing them through looking at some psychometrics that looked at, I don't know, style or approach or personality. Right. And it was kind of helpful, but I kept dishing this stuff out thinking people really like it, but I love that. I, yeah, they love it. They, they love it because it gives you something to do. You know, it gives you something that you then have to follow or it gives you a reason for why, you know, you want to point at somebody a bit more firmly than somebody else or whatever. But I just through the years of doing it, it got to the point where I realized that it wasn't really getting to the point. It was it was it remained a little bit superficial. And it wasn't superficial. It was quite a deep program for many people who've been through that. But for me, it became not enough. It became something which I didn't see sustain in the way that I wanted it to sustain. So I started. Was there, I'm curious, like, was this just seeping in after doing it for a while? Did you just, did something tug at your heart and say, we're not getting deep? Was there a moment where you where you realized there was a different way of doing things? What was it like for you to, because you trained in this stuff. Yeah, I really did train in this stuff, yeah. Ravi. And here's the thing, right? When I was running the programs, I just had a feeling, I just felt, I don't know how to describe it. It felt slightly fraudulent, which I'm, it wasn't because there was lots of fantastic learning for people and it was very genuine and authentic on my part and their part. But for me, in my heart, I just felt slightly like I was shortchanging people. That's what it was more like. I was just shortchanging them and I was probably shortchanging myself. There was something more to learn about the human condition that we, we didn't talk about. And the reason why we didn't talk about it, I realize now, is because I didn't have the words to know how to talk about it. I had the feel and I had the sense of it, but I didn't have the right words to use. 
yeah and that that got me looking that got me looking for for it got me retraining actually so about six years ago yeah about six years ago I decided that I'd look around to retrain and I had no idea what I was going to retrain in but I knew it was something you know I'd done the training 20 years before or something and you've got to keep you've got to keep learning otherwise otherwise it gets very old and you, you get old in yourself you know you get you kind of get old and it gets kind of samey for you you've got to keep moving right so what was the what are you how would you describe what you do now and how does it contrast with the nlp psychometric um more how you were originally trained to do well the shortcut answer to that is it kind of explained the the the, the learning that i've been through which i'm still on the learning kind of process and will be i know forever now um is one where i understand the mechanics of how the mind works which explains why nlp can be really effective or explains something about emotional intelligence or explains something about personality so it, it it's one layer underneath <laughs> some of that stuff or even a few layers underneath some of that stuff i was teaching and for me that that teaching that is so helpful for people who I'm working with because that we then share that understanding of how the mind works and they can then use that knowledge to decide what they do and don't want to do which is so profoundly different and I'm very happy to talk more about that really but it's such a respectful learning process for people because it isn't telling anybody what to do or not to do it isn't describing a set way or you know so many books around this field are giving you and even if you look through linkedin you know there's so much instruction on what you should do to be better or to live a better life or to be happier or be more productive or be more effective and in the end I just don't think that's the way that humanity kind of ultimately learns to be told what to do to be better and I also don't think it's true anymore that we need to do anything to be better. I I think that the learning experience of being through has allowed me to see that my job is to uncover people's capacity to be the best they can mm. and the best that they are as opposed to learning a skill set to become different or to become better. I like the word you use respect. Um, you know, I was uh, reading a book about trust. This was many years ago, I was still in my corporate days at Microsoft. I was reading a book uh, sort of in the emotional intelligence field and it was about trust and had a whole bunch of recipes on how to create trust. And something about that felt a bit almost like drinking a diet coke like some it was good but i could tell it wasn't real <laughs> because how could a book teach me how to trust i mean doesn't that have to come from within so this idea of respecting our own capacity to have some insight and wisdom and to figure things out uh, i just really like that the way you phrased it with that word and it's definitely yeah. something we see in common in people 
people have the capacity to figure things out and navigate things. Um, and reconnecting to that will go further than learning a 17-step process for building trust or managing up or what have you. Yeah, of course, because of course, of course, trust is an outcome. You know, trust is an outcome of an authentic relationship, let's say. Trust is an outcome of being able to communicate with somebody in a way which kind of connects, you know, connects you in terms of your humanity. You can't do trust. It doesn't, it's not something that you can to learn to do. And and the other thing about the 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 teaching for me, the teaching which suggests that there is a, a list of things to do and the respect point is I don't think people listen in the end. They might take it on and go, oh yeah, they might read the book and say, Oh yeah, that's great, 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 great. Yeah, that makes lots of sense. But but because they've been told yeah, that it's something that we need to do and follow, they'll maybe do it. It's a bit like a New Year's resolution. You know, might do it for a few days or a few weeks, but you quickly, you know, you quickly revert back to your old ways of doing things because you haven't had an insightful change, an insightful knowing about it. It hasn't sort of affected you at a deep level because it's something you've been told and the respect of the learning experience now allows people, you know, what I really love to do now is allow people the time and space to be able to insightfully see their themselves in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And of course, once they've seen themselves in a different way, bing, you know, that's it. That that change has, has happened. It's it's there forever. It's there for good. And that's a deep learning experience, which I think is just such a gift to be able to share with 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 people. And of course, when I'm sharing it with other people, I'm I'm getting it myself. So it's a it's a it's a gift, and it's also feeding me at the same time. So it's wonderful. Uh, uh, making this shift, I mean, how how has that been just for you personally in running your business? It sounds it seems like a pretty big shift to go from training to what you're doing now, which is helping people uncover more naturally their capacities. What has that shift been like for you and your business? And maybe what have you learned along the way and going from doing what you were doing before to what you do now? Well, well, the content of what we do is different, but the outcome is the same. So you're working with an organization or with an individual who wants the same outcome. They want, you know, so businesses will always, will want productivity increase they'll want better decision making they'll want you know more engagement in their in their workforce they'll want a stress a, a well-being and stress light population of, of people in their business all those things they'll want a strategy to be developed they want an operational plan to be delivered so those remain the same so the outputs are very much the same as they were the, the thing that's really shifted has been the content of the learning experience for the individual team or, or the organization. So if you like, in terms of my business, the, the conversations I'm having with clients is very similar. It's like, oh, yeah, that's what you want. Fine. Well, that's what we're going to. So my first step is to really understand what the organization wants. Mm-hmm. And to, to do that, you know, I'm, I'm listening very intently to the logic that that they're that they're talking about. What do they see as they, they they want as outcome, and what do they think has been the 
thing that stopped them from producing that outcome. Then things start to change a little bit because, of course, then I'm applying that logic to my own understanding of how the mind works. And for many people, I mean, put simply, I think um, I use the Lovey equation performance equals potential minus interference, which lots of people have seen, right? Well, with my audience, and I want you to finish your thought, but with my audience, yeah. probably new to them. So we can talk a little bit about what that. Yeah. Okay. I can't remember the guy who, who came up with it first. Galway. Tim Galway, I believe. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that, that makes sense to me now. Yeah, that, that rings a bell. So performance equals potential minus interference was the equation. And I love it because, you know, what organizations always are looking for and what we, I guess, are looking for in many ways is, is an increase in performance. And that comes about by the potential that the individual might have. So that's our skills, mm-hmm. capability, attitude, emotional well-being, whatever it, whatever sits within our individual um, potential. And from an organization's point of view, it might be their IP, it might be their processes, it might be the systems, you know, that that they hold on to. Um, minus interference, right? So that potential all sits there really beautifully. And then there's this thing called interference. Well, interference comes in the form of kind of um, tangible interference, which might be, I don't know, really chunky kind of uh, bureaucratic systems mm-hmm. or terrible IT or, you know, or the environment that people are working with in, within is not great. And you need to manage those things and they just get managed. But that's not the bit I'm interested in. The bit I'm interested in is the mental interference which stops the noise, that mental noise which stops people from delivering their very best. Now, what traditionally leadership development has done is to increase the potential. So it's gone out there to increase skills, get people to be better at, to learn more technique, to apply that technique, and then go out into the world and do that stuff. But of course, what that often does is increase, for many people, it increases the noise that they then have about that thing because it's now another thing that they've got to do. In the number of people who I've met who've, you know, and this is no, no criticism of anything about meditation or mindfulness, both of which are beautiful, but, you know, the number of people who've got stressed out by the fact that they can't find the time to do their mindfulness, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it, they're kind of fun that, 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 that you, you've got this great technique, but you're stressed out because the noise has gone up as well. And there's, there's a sort of crazy paradox in that. So what we found is by just focusing on increasing skills and knowledge and capability, the net performance doesn't always go up at all. Mm. Yeah, sometimes it goes up a bit, but not, but and sometimes it could go down because the noise, okay, so I've got to now do the six step plan on, on delegating. I've now got to do the, the grid on prioritization, yeah. whatever it might be. Just a quick second. Uh, there was a, you know, nothing against Six Sigma and black belts and all that stuff. I believe there's a lot of good science there, but in, in my corporate world, we had a lot of people trying to deploy a whole lot of knowledge, structure, process, technique to a very organic engineering process, okay, that we were using in in the company. And I just saw what happened. 
um, and just the amount of interference it created. And even when we ship product, it wasn't necessarily better. And even if it had fewer bugs or errors, it often didn't have the things the customers wanted. And so when we actually stopped trying to deploy all this new technique, <laughs> teams actually did a lot better. And so that's just why I say sometimes the knowledge actually gets in the way. Um, it's like when I was a kid, I remember going to a swim clinic for a week and I learned a new stroke technique and I was a competitive swimmer. And I remember how for a good month afterwards, I was way worse. I was so in my head. It just interrupted my childlike flow. <laughs> Eventually, I just let all that stuff go and I went back to my normal swimming and it was fine. But I can relate to what you're pointing to here. And sometimes knowledge isn't helpful. Sometimes it is. Uh, yeah. But it and of course, interference. yeah, that's definitely right, Ravi. And, and sometimes, you know, you do need knowledge. Of course, you need, you know, it, it'd be crazy to say that we don't need to develop knowledge. Of course, we need to develop knowledge. And we're doing that all of the time. Um, but 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 if we're just focusing on that, right? If we're only focusing on that, then we are losing the 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 benefit of the other part of the equation, right? And the other part of the equation is interference. So this whole focus on mental noise, and and, and the mental the other thing about mental noise is that it's increased at a crazy rate over the last few years and over the last 12 months well nine months you know <laughs> in an, ama an amazing rate so what we focus on is yes we do some work helping people upskill but the main uh, approach that we will be working with our, our, our clients with is is reducing interference because if you reduce interference if you remember the equation performance equals potential minus interference you know just by simple logic, you reduce the interference, you get higher, higher, higher performance outputs, right? I mean, that that's that's a taken, it's a given. And the 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 focus on the focus on performance I love also because performance is two things for me now. One is an increase in, let's say, productivity. That's an increase in performance. But I would also describe an increase in performance as the same productivity done without without the damage that gets done to people. So, you know, just as useful as an increase in productivity, which tends to happen anyway by a reduction in interference, is that people at worst end up as a result of the programs, at worst doing what they always did, but without the stress, the hassle, the burnout that they were going to get if they didn't reduce the interference. I'm curious, what do you see as the reaction to your clients to an experience of less stress? And I just say this because primarily my clients are in the world of tech. Um, and almost to a T, they are experts at uh, harnessing willpower to deploy in, in pursuit of whatever they're trying to do. And they become quite accustomed to stress. In fact, I even experienced in some cases in my career where a certain level of stress was seen. There was like healthy stress. Yeah. And people would talk about, oh, there's like, like a healthy tension and a healthy stress. And I'm just curious what you see as you work with leaders when they experience that less stress. Are they realizing the potential of that? 
or are they freaking out like, huh, that I'm not going to perform as well because I'm used to feeling this tension? Because I often initially working with a client or teams, they're like, this feels too easy. Yeah. It can't be right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious what you see from, from your vantage point. Yeah, that, that's great. And it's it's really it's really what I experience as well, because people we, we've all got very used to the feeling of stress. It's become, you know, it's an habituated response now, you know, and actually like any like any habit, if you break it, it feels odd, even if it's a, even if it's for the better, it feels uncomfortable. So, you know, when I'm <laughs> that does happen, people feel anxious that they're not doing as much because they're not feeling as stressed. So what, what do we do? Well, we sit down and we say, well, okay, tell me, have you done, and I just ask a very simple question, you know, as a result of all this program, have you been able to deliver more about the same or less than you were before? And I want you to be really honest and go back and look in your diary and really kind of measure this for yourselves. And absolutely everybody has said either most people say I've delivered, oh, they've said, oh, actually I've delivered more. It's a bit of a surprise. And some people have said they delivered about the same, mm. right? But the majority of people who are actually delivering and being more productive. And then it's like, well, there you go. You don't need to worry anymore <laughs> about, about not delivering because you are. And there's a sort of, there's another moment where you literally have people go, oh, right. And it's, there's a shift in our understanding of, how it feels to be at work. The thing that we then, I, I found myself probably having to then have conversations with people about is to not get back into the habit of just simply building back up the amount you're doing because you're able to sort of see more insightfully about how stress kind of happens um, and then get yourself into the place where you used to be in that old habit of feeling anxious all of the time. But, you know, we've just got to stay stay wise about that for ourselves so maybe we can uh sort of dive in a little bit uh through the lens of a middle manager you know imagine you're working with a middle manager who's running an engineering team highly technical person managing managers trying to get software out error free on time that's going to win you know that's their their way and then they realize, hey, you know, I'm efforting my way through. This isn't sustainable. Um, I'm not getting the breakthroughs I need. So let me let me engage with Jonathan and your team and and figure out how to move forward. I mean, how do you work with someone like that? I mean, what advice do you give, and how do you help them tap into the very thing you're talking about? This uh, natural performance, and then deal with the minus side of the equation you spelled out which is the interference side what does that look like well uh yeah you yeah it's a good question and it's kind of got a long answer i suspect it probably takes two or three days mm. to answer that question <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i mean i think here's here, here's my 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 intuitive response to that that question when when I sit down with, with somebody and it really it really doesn't matter if they're in a, manage, a middle management position or an executive position or they're heading up a business, right? And you have a conversation and they tell you a little bit about what they what 
the issues are, some of the things that are stopping them from performing at their best or some of the things they want from the from an interaction with you. I tend to end up asking them, do they do they know life could be easier? <laughs> do they do they do they know that it doesn't have to be this hard? Mm. Yeah. Do they know that they've got the answers? If they can just quieten down in themselves and give themselves space and time to find those answers. Do they know that they're okay? Do, you know, and and ninety, you know what? I'm going to say ninety nine times out of a hundred, but I have not yet spoken to anybody yet who doesn't know that the answers to those questions are yes. Mm-hmm. So they get a sense. They get a sense of knowing that life they're making it difficult for themselves, or there's something that's happening in their understanding about their experience which is ending up with them feeling life's a little bit more difficult work life personal life whatever it might be than it needs to be and then they get interested and they get interested in the conversation and then i might even you know mention to them the performance equation that we just talked about and that makes sense to people in a very very simple way it's like yeah i'd love to get rid of that interference i'd love to get rid of that noise because without that noise i could be amazing you know, I'd be able to do all the things that I dream about. You know, I'd be able to find the space and time to balance my work and my personal life and deliver all the things that I know I could deliver. And they get interested and they get quiet in themselves often. And then I just explain that that's the conversation that we, we're going to have. And it takes a little while to unpack the understanding that sits behind knowing those things in a in a useful way in business which you know i hesitate to sort of get into here because it takes a little while to sort of go through that process of understanding because people need to see the way that their mind is working right the way that their psychology is happening to them in a way which is probably very different to how they're seeing it now so it's a little bit like um, the process of um, exposing the truth of the uh, day-to-day way these we're all having experience and then kind of rewiring that for ourselves. Mm. Yeah, there's a little bit of rewiring. There's some new neural connections get made in those conversations, which open our eyes to a way of living which is way more peaceful, way more productive, way more creative and much more satisfying. And the point of saying that last bit is the guys you speak to already know that. They already know that that's accessible. They know that's available, but just haven't had the mechanism to have that conversation. So we end up having that conversation together. Right, right. And it seems that the opposite in our in our modern world the opposite is being reinforced from the outside i mean businesses have objectives and quarterly goals and trainings um you know you go look at the best-selling books in the personal development field and you every year you've got a new habit building book or a new process for success or seven rules for this or that and so what I'm just curious because we both have, uh, you know, in similar spirit, point people back to a different place. Why do you think 
in the world, um, this is catching on, but it seems to be in the minority where people still are looking for the external answer. <laughs> and that mentality is being reinforced, even in the world of coaching. Uh, most coaches are really fixated on goals and then strategies to help people achieve like new knowledge and frameworks versus pointing people to the wisdom within. Why, why, why do we seem to be in the minority here? <laughs> to me, it seems that, that way. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. I think it's the minority now. I think it's the minority now. And I think it's, I think there's a couple of reasons for me, Ravi. One, one is that it's, it's a slow burn in that any new way of doing anything takes some time. So, you know, the, the, the way that we've been living in this kind of um, pursuit of material gain um, and, and the way that we've kind of fixated on habits to get to that end point has been around for a very long time, you know, really. And it, 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 takes, it takes time to shift that mentality and that that sort of that's happening with the learning process that's that's going on for people at the moment and i think that as the world gets kind of more and more externally driven you know even to the point of our young people of our of our society's well-being for many sits with the most kind of externally driven of all things, which is a social media kind of platform telling us whether or not, or people telling us whether or not they support our <laughs> cause or not with, with a little tick, you know, or a like or whatever it might be, right? So, you know, that, that, that sort of excessive outside-in kind of um, mentality is becoming so... Um, pervasive and so visibly destructive to people's well-being that I think we're in a great place where society starts to say, hang on a minute, is that right? Is that the right way to look at it? So there may be some pushback coming as a result of that. The other thing is that I think we're quite lazy humans. And I put myself as in the category of being human. And when we're told what to do, yeah, we kind of like it. And it's a really interesting conversation about leadership because people love to be led, you know, broadly speaking. They love to be told what to do and then to, to, to think they're going to get on and do it because it actually stops us having to make some decisions for ourselves. Right. So I think it's a sort of laziness that, that's really innocent. And, and I put myself in that same camp, absolutely, of um getting caught in the the, the simpler way of doing things which is like oh i've got the, the the three things i've got to do this morning and i'll go and do those and then i can do what the hell i like after that right whereas what we're having a conversation about is is something which is reshaping our understanding of the whole of our experience and that takes a little bit more looking at to be honest it takes a little bit more work but the payoff is great when we get there so Jonathan, just in the last few minutes, I'm curious for you, what learning curves you are on 
ah. just you personally regarding your work you do and maybe if anything else that you're you're into now yeah well my learning <laughs> my learning curve keeps going yeah I, I i just keep learning and learning i i what is specific specifically i mean the learning curve that i'm really really enjoying at the moment is 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 actually becoming more and more um grounded okay with settled with knowing that the work that we do is having a really helpful effect on people and organizations mm. and continually learning how to interact with organizations in a way that they are able to both listen and hear that and also learn about that there's a great it's it's a never-ending learning experience i think that we're all on as consultants in business and we're all on that in, in in that learning curve as people that's brilliant on a on a on a more sort of super fit or more light note i'm learning about podcasts and i'm learning about social media and i'm learning about working in that field which is good fun as well but quite challenging because it's a very different space um that's that's quite an exciting space for me as well yeah wonderful if people would like to connect with you and what your company does where should they go oh yeah my website is um capital capital hyphen shift.com so www.capital hyphen shift.com and you work with individuals teams organizations on leadership and just leveling up performance in a in an interesting and and unique way you bet and you know we we brand all the work we do under the icon brand thought intelligence which is a way of understanding how the mind works and the benefits that that brings to people and organizations wonderful well jonathan uh, have a good day and have a good time on your run should you thank you Thanks, Ravi. It's great to speak to you.